It's a quarter of the way into the NBA season, and we're here to hand out some quarter of the season superlatives, including who is the life of the party. And we'll talk about the most surprising and most disappointing teams of the season so far. I'm David Ramil with Wes Goldberg. It's Tuesday, December 3rd, and this is Locked On NBA. You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. We'll talk about some of the most surprising and most disappointing teams in the NBA later on. But let's start with some NBA superlatives. David, what's our first one? Well, I I thought of it in typical yearbook type uh, fashion and I was looking at uh, potential options there. Uh, It didn't seem like Class Clown was applicable, although Hassan Whiteside's still in the league, so that always works. But uh, I I was thinking... Waiters is another strong candidate for that. uh, Yeah, well, that one's a little too close to home, but thanks a lot, Wes. I really appreciate that. (laughs) Um, So I was thinking Life of the Party. That's a good one that always uh, seems to get a lot of buzz when, uh, when you're doing your middle school yearbook and things of that sort. So from my perspective, it's it's the kind of player that you're most likely to watch. If, if you see you know, the league pass alert coming up on your Twitter feed or you're just wondering, you know, how's X player going to do on any night-to-night basis or if there's a, a particularly sexy matchup, who's the player that you're most likely to tune in and watch? I think at this point, it's got to be Luka Doncic, who not only is the life of the party, but is making an MVP um, candidacy early on through the first quarter of the season. I think there's other obvious ones, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo is always a lot of fun to watch. You don't want to take that for granted. I think LeBron James and his sort of resurgence on both ends of the of the court has been a lot of fun to watch too. Um, but Luca, what he's doing, man! I mean, averaging a triple double, uh, shooting fifty six percent from the field overall. I mean, he is sort of this LeBron James two point kind of thing where he is he plays a whole lot like LeBron James, but he's new. And he's young, and he's fun, and he's cocky, right? I mean, every time he's hitting these step-back threes, he's looking over to the bench and celebrating. I mean, it really does feel like a party when he gets going. I mean, he is. I mean, I, I call him sort of this like LeBron James type of template, but there's a little bit of James Harden. There's a, even a little bit of, I mean, there's even a little bit of Steph Curry, the way that Steph just sort of snowballs into these, into these you know, barrages of three-pointers. He has a little bit of that showmanship in him. And so I think it's pretty obvious that Luke has been the life of the party through the first 20 or so games of the season. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. Uh, I mean, I've got another candidate in mind, but when you think about the life of the party and, and what Doncic does, you're going to tune in to watch because he is, and, and you bring up a lot of good points there about him being this amalgamation of so many different players. He's got the, the triple-double versatility of a LeBron James, but he's also got that kind of cocky flair that Steph has showed to a lot of people's dismay over the last few years, but he's also got this incredible array of moves and his some nights almost unstoppable, a lot like James Harden is. And so he is like this combination of all these MVP qualities wrapped up in this package that I don't think a lot of people expected it to be as good as quickly as it's been. And so he's absolutely a lot of fun to watch. But, you know, I don't want to bog down the show by, by picking the same candidate over and over again. So for me, I'm thinking Pascal Siakam in the Eastern Conference for the Toronto Raptors. The surprising Toronto Raptors, at least to me. Um, he, he is just to see the kind of leaps that this player has taken over the last few years when nobody expected him to be anywhere near as good. The fact that he was with the, the 905, the Raptors G League team just a couple of seasons ago. Winning a championship with the G League and then slowly but developing through that system, becoming a breakout player last year and potentially becoming even another 
taking another step this year, becoming yet again a most improved player. I mean, I don't think we've ever seen that kind of step where he's become a quality role player the way he was last year to becoming a superstar within the very next season. That kind of astronomical leap and, and just the fun that he brings to the table, like his incredible athleticism, his overall defense, the fact that he is a legitimate spot-up shooter at this point, something that we never expected from him a couple of years ago, uh, and the fact that he combines this incredible length and explosiveness and all these different things that is making Toronto such a fun team to watch, but him in particular leading this team with Kyle Lowry uh, battling injury, it's incredible to see Siakam taking this incredible leap for a second consecutive season. So what's our next uh, category here? Well, I was thinking uh, we could go to uh, cutest couple. I mean, a look at the best (laughs) duos around the league. You know, we've talked about the duos, the system, then the league kind of changing a little bit where instead of having the big three, now it's kind of going into the top duos around the league. Do you have a duo that particularly strikes out as far as the cutest couple around the league? Oh, boy. I mean, cutest? I don't know about cutest, but (laughs) definitely... This seems to be the power couple through the first quarter of the season, and it's LeBron James and it's Anthony Davis. Uh, You've got two arguably top five players in the NBA on one team. I think the Clippers would be the only other duo that can get close to that, but Paul George and Kawhi Leonard haven't played a whole lot together throughout the season. And and you look at what the Lakers have done. I mean, together, LeBron and Anthony Davis, when they're on the floor together, the Lakers are borderline unstoppable. Um, they have the bet. They have one of the best records in the. They, they're tied right now. It's time of, as we're recording this with the best record in the NBA at seventeen and three. I think that they've done enough through the first quarter of the season to be named cutest couple, to be named you know the power couple of the season. Wow! So homecoming king and queen, so to speak. Uh, that's an interesting one and a pretty likely one. I, I've got to agree with you on that. Again, you, I'm giving you first option here, and it's biting me in the ass, and it's very unfortunate. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I I think that the Clippers have a pretty pom- a prominent duo as well. And although we haven't seen much of them, it's been kind of inconsistent. In, uh, you know, seeing them on the floor at the same time. Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I think, uh, make the most exciting couple. And maybe, maybe they're a couple that kind of moved in from out of town somewhere. Maybe kind of like the Twilight series or something. Like there's these strange vampires that have come to our weird high school in the middle of nowhere just so that we can be like, ooh, who's that? Who are they? Because they're so interesting and alluring. And we haven't seen what the very top of this duo can accomplish, but we're already intrigued. We're so curious about what they can accomplish. They're they're so versatile. They bring so much to the table. I think Paul George and Kawhi Leonard is absolutely the power duo. We already know what we're getting out of LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Yes, it's worked. The pairing's fine. So, you know, LeBron's playing surprisingly good defense at this point in his career. But come on, man. Aren't you more intrigued by seeing Paul George and Kawhi Leonard being this hounding defensive duo that can just wreak havoc all over the place? No, I'm not. Right. I'm not. I'm not. Everybody is on that hype train. Train. I'm really excited. I was, you know, I was excited about LeBron and Anthony Davis coming into this season. Oh, it's I so really boring. think that's an interesting duo. Uh, and I, I haven't gone away. Uh, for cutest couple, though, I mean, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo, or Jimmy Butler and, or the Heat no. Lock Room, I should say. No, I mean, yeah, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, from the guy who covers the Heat, Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, has become the surprising love fest of the NBA. I. I I have never seen anything like it. Like, Goran Dragic is teaching Jimmy Butler Slovenian, the kid from Houston. I can't, I don't, my mind is blown by this, but the, the way they talk about each other, I mean, first of all, it's dismissing this whole concept of Jimmy Butler locker room cancer, and it's blown it up completely. But the fact that he's been getting along and has this incredible mutual respect for a guy like Goran Dragic, who around the league, 
does not have that kind of respect. I mean, as you and I know well firsthand, he has not gotten that league, respect around the league from players, from referees, from anybody, really. And, and for him to just mesh with Jimmy Butler the way it has, that's, it's really, really surprising. And there is, they, after every game, they talk. They, they just slap hands. They just they, amazing how they've bonded so well. It's it's been really surprising. So I know we've got two more categories we talked about. Let's quickly go through them. We did. We we, we still have to get to biggest flirt and most likely to succeed. Which one do you want to do first? Uh, let's do biggest flirt. So this one's tough. We could go with a player. We could even go with an entire team. And if I were going to go with a team, I would probably say the Brooklyn Nets are the biggest flirt. Ooh. I know that. We didn't expect them to have Kevin Durant, obviously, but they did have Kyrie Irving. You're adding Kyrie Irving to what was a playoff team last season, basically. There's a lot of pieces there that we like. Now, I know they've dealt with some injuries and stuff like that, but to be 500 through the first quarter of the season, I think is pretty... Disappointing is a little bit of a strong word. I know we're going to do our most disappointing teams later on, but there are games where they look great, and it looks like you, you, you watch Kyrie Irving going off, scoring 30-something points, and then you look at the score, and you're like, they're not even in this game. Right. So to me, it's just like they, they kind of have the, this eye candy. They look the, the part of a contender, and they're just not winning a whole lot of games. To me, they've been the biggest flirt. Yeah, that's, that's a fair one. I mean, Spencer didn't when he looks good in Kyrie's absence, and, and then certainly look like a, a strong potential contender down the road. But I think without yeah, Kevin Spencer Durant... Spencer just won player of the week too, right? I mean, he's playing really well. Yeah, the week before. It's, it's Carmelo Anthony this week, strangely enough. But oh, uh, yeah, in, in any case, I, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You hit on all the points there. Although, for, to me, they don't quite fit the mold because without Kevin Durant, it's like, what can we really expect? Like, the ceiling for this team as currently comprised without Durant, isn't as high. But I, I get what you're, what you're kind of hinting at there. But to, I started off thinking about this category in the first place and, and kind of pinned it on like a particular player. I had kind of been gearing towards Zach Levine, a guy who has like a lot of empty calorie statistics. He had that incredible 49-point explosion, but then there's not much diversity or versatility to his game other than that scoring punch. Um, there's the continued friction between him and Jim Boylan. And so he doesn't really do it for me. Um, the person that I'm kind of intrigued most in a negative way, unfortunately, is uh, Nikola Jokic. I just, mm. after a season and a postseason in particular, where we saw Jokic taking a leap, and for him to come back um, after the World Cup a, a little bloated, a little out of shape, and then to kind of just, I don't know, slug his way through this early part of the season. Like, we expected him to take a significant leap. We thought he had that kind of skill set. You know, we saw him last season and again in the playoffs, and we thought to ourselves, this is a guy on the cusp there. He's going to take it to that next level. He's going to become a legitimate MVP candidate again, a guy that we can talk about as historically great. Then he comes in like 25 pounds overweight, and he kind of just seems disappointed with the whole season. Like, it's taken a lot out of him somehow. And I know... Their, their identity, Denver's identity, is now forged on defense rather than this kind of astronomical offensive player. But at the same time, there's still a, a leap for him to be taking, and, and he just hasn't taken it this season. So I'm a little disappointed. He's, he's flirting with success, but he hasn't proven it just yet. All right, so the final one is most likely to succeed. I think this one's pretty easy, although there are some surprise candidates involved here. I think Eric Paschal for the Warriors has made a legitimate kind of rookie of the year type case. And that's basically what we're talking about, right? Most likely to succeed is our cute way of saying rookie of the year. Kendrick Nunn for the Heat has been incredible uh, and has come out of nowhere. But it's still Ja Morant. And I know he's dealing with some back spasms. He's week to week. So it depends on how much how much longer he's out. But through the first quarter of the season, he's been the best rookie available. For 
he's averaging 18.6 points and 6.4 assists per game. There's only five other rookies in the history of the league, or really since the modern draft era, who have done that. Or actually, no, it's the history of the league who have done that. And we're talking about guys like Damian Lillard, Oscar Robinson, Allen Iverson, Trey Young last season. John Moran is putting up stats right in line with those guys. He's been really impressive, and he's flashed all those exciting playmaking skills and dunking ability and all that kind of stuff that we expected um, when he was coming into the NBA. So I think he's quite clearly the most likely to succeed winner. Yeah, I, 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 you know, you keep stealing all my my candidates here, but uh, I have to agree with you 100 percent on this. I, I look, I, I was probably a little lower on Morant just because of the the whole physical aspect of the game and his inability to make that transition so quickly. But he's just, you know, he's proved me wrong. Not that he cared one way or the other, but I think he's proved a lot of people wrong because I, I think his overall size uh, was a little bit. This is not necessarily disappointing, but I know it was a concern for a lot of people and, and draft experts in particular because they weren't quite sure how his skill set would translate under the wear and tear of the league. And so far, so good, obviously. And he's proved to be an excellent player and, and likely the rookie of the year down the line. Coming up, who is the most surprising and most disappointing team so far in the season? All right, as we are continuing along with our first quarter of the season superlatives, we're moving on to the most surprising team and the most disappointing team throughout uh, so far in the season. Let's start with the most surprising team, David. Uh, who is that for you? I know there's going to be a little bit of a <laughs> homerism to it, perhaps. Anyway. Although I, I, well, I have nothing else to say about it. To be honest, I, it was either them or the the Dallas Mavericks because I didn't expect Dallas to be this good this quickly. I didn't expect them to kind of to be. I, again, as I said last week. They don't smack me as being a legitimate title contender. They're a fun team. They've been putting up a lot of points, but their concerns on defense are are, are legitimate. And so I, I'm still not sure. The win against the Lakers notwithstanding, I don't see this as a legitimate title contending team. So although they are surprising to me, they are not the most surprising. I, I still have to go with the way Miami Heat's playing. The fact that they are, they have the record that they have right now. Uh, I mean, look, adding Jimmy was an incredible thing for Miami. Obviously, they had lacked that kind of leadership in the past. He gives them a hierarchy, a structure to that roster that they haven't had in a number of years, even as Dwayne Wade was coming back and playing throughout his last couple of seasons there. It wasn't the same thing. Now, all of a sudden, everybody's kind of figured out their role much more effectively. They're playing defense at a high level. They're playing offense at a high level. They're making plays for one another. This is, more than anything else, perhaps, they're just a fun goddamn team to watch. Like, you watch them playing, and and they are incredibly fun. I know you covered them recently, Mm -hmm. and they had a a blowout win over the Warriors there. It was a little sluggish at first, but eventually it picked up. They're a team that makes passes. They make plays for one another. They play defense at a high level. They've got rookies in Tyler Hero and Kendrick Nunn who can shoot the lights out. And you've got other kind of versatile big men in, in, in uh, Myers Leonard, Bam Adebayo, and Kelly Olynyk. It's a well-rounded crew and, and it's a surprisingly good one. And to me, they, they are the most surprising team. And the key there is that they are actually contenders. This is a team that could win the Eastern Conference. I know the Milwaukee Bucks are clearly the cream of the crop in the East. But one injury and... That it, it opens up the entire, you know, it opens up the doors to somebody to come out of the East. I know Toronto looks good, Philadelphia, Boston, we figure all those guys to be in the mix, but Miami is legitimately in that mix. And Jimmy Butler has been terrific for them. Bam Adebayo has been incredible. I mean, he could he could have easily been a contender for most likely to succeed had we expanded the candidate pool. Yes. This that He's awesome. And I think everybody had high expectations for him. And he's, being, he's, he's bearing those expectations out. Uh, I agree with you. It's the Miami Heat uh, because, you know, you look down 
the rest of the league. And everybody who we thought would be contenders are pretty much there. Milwaukee, Toronto, Philly. In the West, you've got the Lakers, Denver, the Clippers. I mean, these are the teams that we expected to be there. Miami, I don't think a lot of people expected them to be where they're at and legitimately look like a team that could win their conference and make it to the NBA Finals. And I think that's the case. Most disappointing team? Uh, I could have went in a lot of different directions with oh, this, yeah. but I'm going to go with the Portland Trailblazers. At 8-12 and 12 at the time of us recording this, I mean, this is a team with Damian Lillard who is putting up big numbers yet again. But that's about it, man. I mean, it's, it's CJ McCollum's been underwhelming. They haven't found any depth on the wing. Hassan Whiteside's been basically Hassan Whiteside for them, hit or miss, um, mostly misses. And uh, I know that they've got Nurkic coming back eventually later in the season, but even with that, I don't think that Nurkic is enough to sort of turn this thing around it it feels like this is the season where it's the end of the line for them and and that is disappointing because this was a team that was built on chemistry and and in past years that's kind of helped them throughout an 82 game season and now it kind of feels like it's hurting them yeah absolutely i mean one in seven against teams with a record of 500 or better uh, i mean it feels like they were the odd man out in the western conference i wasn't quite as high on them despite the their showing last postseason I knew they had gone through some changes and you wondered how easy it would be for them to kind of duplicate it. But the fact that they've fallen off so quickly at the start of the season and, uh, you know, injuries are a factor. But I think you could say that almost every team has gone through a spate of injuries at some point, even at this early in the season. And that's no excuse for what has happened to Portland. They just they just seem to have not been able to take it to another level. We've already seen what we can get out of McCollum, out of Lillard, etc., and for the and trying to incorporate these new players just hasn't worked as well as you would have expected it to be, and so they're just they've been very disappointing. So, um, yeah, I, I totally get it, and uh, it's unfortunate for the Blazers and for Blazers fans because you know I think there was a little bit of a tease last season that maybe they might yeah. be on the cusp of building something better, and that's why I went with another team that was similarly built like that, the Orlando Magic, just north of Miami. There, uh, this is another team that's been somewhat disappointing. Obviously, again, going through some injury issues as well. They've lost Nikola Jovucevic uh, for some time here. They just recently lost Al Farouk Camino. The Blazers curse continuing even south of, the, of Portland. <laughs> uh, but there's, you know, this team had all the, the right pieces in place from a good roster to a good coach to a good front office. They made the playoffs for the first time in seven years. The drought was over in Central Florida, and there was something to build on. There was a lot of excitement about what, what kind of team this would could be. And instead, it's just gone south again. They're 8-11 and 11 as of recording this. And although there is the potential for them to kind of take it up at another level, they could tighten their defense a little bit. They could get some unexpected scoring here and there, as they did last night against the Warriors from Evan Fournier. But at the same time, this team is struggling in a lot of different aspects. They just haven't gelled the way you'd expect it to. Steve Clifford, I'm not sure if he still manages the locker room to the same level that he did last season. He's not necessarily impressing himself upon his team the way that I would have expected it to. And, and, and so I'm just not sure if they're going to be able to be a legitimate playoff team for a second consecutive season. If that's the case, then what was last season all about? I mean, I think a lot of Orlando fans would have hoped that maybe they would have tanked the season or maybe just gotten a, a higher draft pick. Jonathan Isaac has kind of stagnated. He's still a fun player to watch. He still has potential. Aaron Gordon's another player. Like, what's what's the deal with Gordon? Like, where is he? He seems to be a name constantly linked in, in linked in trade rumors. Yeah, he was terrible. I, I was at the game against when they when they beat the Warriors. I mean, he was awful. I mean, yeah. he just he seems to be forcing everything. Yeah. Um. I for one one other. 
candidate I had for biggest surprise. I, I kind of gave it a little bit of thought, but the Charlotte Hornets, Yo, they could yeah. be that team that knocks the Magic out of the playoffs. I don't believe in them. They have a pretty poor point differential despite being the ninth seed at this point in the Eastern Conference. But Devontae Graham at 18.2 points per game. I mean, that's been a nice surprise. That's been one of the bigger surprises this season. Coming up, we'll check in on some of the other scores from last night. All right, David, we are going to look ahead to tonight's games between the Denver Nuggets and the Los Angeles Lakers and the Toronto Raptors and the Miami Heat, a couple of games at the top of the different conferences. But first, let's get to the other scores from Monday night. The Phoenix Suns use a 12-0 run to top the Charlotte Hornets 109-104 in Charlotte. The 76ers were blowing out the Jazz for most of the game before Utah cut it close, despite 27 points from Rudy Gobert. Tobias Harris led the Sixers with 26 points to help the Philadelphia 76ers win 103-94 over Utah. Golden State Warriors dropped yet another one to the Atlanta Hawks, 104-79. Trey Young had 24 points and 7 assists. The Indiana Pacers improved to 13-7 with a 117 win over the Memphis Grizzlies, 104. And the Milwaukee Bucks blew out the New York Knicks, 132-88. Giannis Antetokounmpo finished with 29 points and 15 rebounds in just 21 minutes of play. And Milwaukee looks as strong as ever. Currently, the Chicago Bulls are beating the Sacramento Kings, 41-29. Yeah, I'm here in uh, Atlanta for that Warriors-Hawks game. And the Warriors just can't seem to catch a break i mean they get kavon looney back uh who they were really looking forward to getting back but then of course you know they rest draymond green on the second night of a back-to-back after losing in orlando and the hawks enter this game on a 10-game losing streak which should have provided the warriors with an opportunity to win i mean there's only four there's only three teams that entered this night with four wins it was the hawks it was the warriors and then it was of course the knicks and so you think of all the games on the warriors schedule this would be a winnable one but they just couldn't get it done. I, I really, I'm looking forward to the schedule. They've got a game in Charlotte. They've got a game in uh, Chicago on Friday. But they've got this weird Draymond Green retirement ceremony kind of smashed in between this five-game road trip. I don't know when they're going to get another win. Yeah, that should be uh, interesting for Golden State. Obviously, they're still struggling with injuries. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that we're at this point now when the Warriors are looking back, looking forward to the return of Kevon Looney, like he's going to be some difference maker there. I mean, I know it's important to get all your guys healthy and to have some kind of semblance of consistency there, but uh, it just shows how far the Warriors have fallen. Okay, so let's go ahead and look at our Eastern Conference game of the night. We've got the Miami Heat visiting the Toronto Raptors. We talked a little bit about the Heat at the beginning of this show and that the fact that they look like a real contender in the East. So given that, and, and given that the Raptors look to be also a contender in the East, despite losing Kawhi Leonard, what do you make of this game and this opportunity for the Heat to show the reigning NBA champions like, hey, this is, this is an opportunity for us to show you that we can really contend in this conference? Well, the Heat has struggled a little bit on the road, particularly against good teams over 500. Toronto certainly fits the bill there. They're also without Goran Dragic, who's listed as out. Uh, when the Heat submitted their injury report to the NBA earlier today, he's got a pulled groin, and apparently he won't be available against the Raptors on Tuesday. It's also the first game of a back-to-back set for Miami, so I'm not sure whether or not they're just looking ahead to their opponent in Boston on Wednesday. But as far as this matchup is concerned, it should be a good one. I mean, obviously Miami has enough defensive intensity there to try and limit what Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet can do. Toronto's depth is a concern, and obviously Miami, 
uh, without Goran Dragic is going to lose some scoring punch off the bench. But Justice Winslow has been coming off the bench as well now that he's returned back from concussion injury. Uh, he, he looks like he's still struggling with his offense a little bit. He's not quite the playmaker he was earlier in the season there. So I'm wondering what kind of a role he'll be able to establish with that second unit there. But it should be a really good matchup. I mean, they're a, a interesting team. They're interesting teams in the sense that they're in that second tier just below, I think, Philadelphia and Milwaukee as far as legitimate title contenders in the East are concerned. But they're just good enough so that they can make things interesting during the regular season. But it's a good t- test for both teams, uh, an opportunity for Toronto to show that they are as dominant as ever without Kawhi and for Miami to kind of prove yeah. that they belong in that conversation. And isn't this what the difference maker for the Raptors was last season was Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi's ability to take over at the end of games. And that's exactly what the heat have now with Jimmy Butler. That's what they were missing last year. And what, you know, didn't allow them to make the playoffs last year. So they didn't have a closer for 82 games of the season. Now they do. And I kind of like Miami's chances because of that, because when push comes to shove, look, I know Pascal Siakam's taking a leap. I don't know that he's got the track record where we could trust him to take over, especially at a level like Jimmy Butler. Um, I've really been really impressed with Butler's ability to not only score um, when he needs to, but also facilitate and make the right pass and make the right play when he needs to. And again, I don't know that the Raptors have that one guy. You mentioned their depth. Yeah, they have a lot of guys that can do stuff. And there's a reason that they're near the top of the Eastern Conference. But from a matchup perspective, I love Bam's athleticism and his ability to defend. Pascal Siakam, Jimmy Butler's ability to just be a rover, get steals, create opportunities. And again, if it's a close game at the end, I kind of like Miami's chances. But let's go to our Western Conference game of the night. The Lakers will go to Denver to take on the Nuggets. Again, two more teams at the top of their conference. The Lakers are suffering a a loss to the Dallas Mavericks recently that broke their 10-game win streak. They're going to try to get back on track. And the Nuggets, who have been picking it up as of late and have the top-rated defense, in the NBA, is it enough to slow down LeBron James and Anthony Davis? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting test there. I, I mean, I don't think they've ever faced anybody with quite the level of the Lakers yet during the, their their winning season. But you know, with Denver, obviously they have the home court advantage there, and and for Los Angeles coming off a loss there, I wonder those two factors there. I think are, are huge, and one that Denver has that home court advantage, but also Los Angeles coming off the loss whether or not they're going to look to regain some of the intensity they had during their 10-game win streak, trying to prove that they can knock off you know, good teams, not just the the, the power puffs that they faced over in, during that 10-game win streak. Um, you know, It's a lot of fun matchups there, obviously. Uh, Nikola Jokic and seeing how he kind of bounces back. Um, how, who, who shuts down Anthony Davis? That's a tough matchup for Paul Millsap. Uh, LeBron James, obviously, is going to dominate. But there's a lot of depth there. Jamal Murray also, you know, he had that... Late game blunder a couple nights ago. You wonder whether or not he's going to be able to bounce back and have a big game there. Denver's had a lot of these opportunities over the course of the season where they've had bad games and they kind of just figure out how to to get back to their identity, which is based, ironically enough, on a strong level of defense. And whether or not they're going to be able to shut down that Lakers core is a good question going into that matchup. Yeah, I I think one of the things that stood out to me during for that Lakers 10-game win streak was that they didn't beat any good teams, and then they played yeah. a good team in Dallas and lost. Denver's yeah. still a good team. This will be a really good matchup for them, as well as the Nuggets, to kind of see how good are they. And we could see this in the playoffs. These are the games, right, in, in a regular season where you guys circle them and, and kind of scout them out. Um, 
just so you can have an idea of what it'll play out in a potential playoff setting. But uh, that'll do it for us today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing to Locked on NBA. And if you have some nice things to say about us, please leave us a review on iTunes. We'll catch you next time. For David Rumel, I'm Wes Goldberg. This has been Locked on NBA.